Have you ever wondered how deep tech companies actually start? Well, we were too. So in this podcast, we'll be interviewing scientists and entrepreneurs that have taken their ideas out of the lab and turned them into startups. I'm Antonia. And I'm Christina. And this is Startup the Science. Hey there. Welcome back. And thanks for tuning in to another episode of Startup the Science. Today's episode features another one of Enum's newest startup members, Mimetis. We had the pleasure of speaking with Christoph, who is the business brains behind the company. And he spoke to us about their technology and their story. And uh, what they're doing is, is they are developing ultra-compact actuators made of thin foils of shape memory alloys that can be used for applications where movement in small, tiny dimensions is required. Christoph gives a few examples in this episode, so I won't spoil it for you. We're really excited to have them as part of our network. And with that, here's Christoph talking about Mimetis. Enjoy. Hi, Chris. Welcome to Startup the Science. It's been uh, a while since we've been trying to, to get you to talk to us here since you've joined Inam a few months ago already. So it's nice to have you with us today and nice to talk about uh, Mimetis. Let's start with a quick introduction. Can you tell us a bit about yourself um, and very briefly also about the company? And then obviously we'll go into all the details. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I, I start with myself. So, uh, yeah, my name is uh, Chris, 33 years old, and I'm the managing or one of the managing directors of uh, a company called Memetis based here in Karlsruhe. And um, I would say I'm uh, a little uh, exotic within our teams because I'm the only um, business guy in the whole company. So, as you can imagine, I'm the, yeah, managing director in charge of uh, commercial, the commercial side of things, uh, legal, etc. And yeah, now the big question, what is Mimetis actually doing? Or what is this company I'm working at and founded uh, a couple of years ago? So Mimetis is a, is a young company, is a spinner from KIT. And uh, we are focusing on miniature actuation based on shape memory alloys. I know this might uh, sound a little weird in the beginning. Uh, very briefly, what is actuation? Um, I guess everyone has heard of sensors before, and uh, sensors gather data. Actuators actually perform an action. They perform movement. They realize forces. And um, we have a, a very particular technology of um, using shape memory alloys, so intelligent uh, alloys, I would say, that have a, a shape memory in order to perform this exact kind of action. And so shape memory alloys sounds very cool. And I'm glad you mentioned you're the only business person in the team because then we can we can relate. We also sometimes have difficulties understanding scientific terms. Can you explain shape memory alloys a little bit to us? They sound very science fiction, like they remember a shape is what I'm going to gather from their name. But can you explain them a little bit better for us? Sure. Um, so in essence, it's exactly what you said. Uh, it's basically a metallic alloy that can uh, easily be deformed when it's in a, in a cold state. And once you heat it up, it goes back into its um, shape memory. So it's a thermal effect that takes place uh, whereby the, the alloy itself moves and goes back into the, the kind of uh, structure it had prior to the deformation. So many people will maybe think about bimetals in this kind of uh, context, which is, uh, in essence, a combination of metals. So it's not a, an alloy per se. 
Uh, and thereby you you see it's not directly comparable actually we are really talking about an alloy which uh, has a certain composition which allows the alloy itself to yeah to move to to have a memory a shape memory okay so we kind of understand what this means what it does so how do we use it why is it useful that they can uh, go back to their original state when heated or they can remember their their shape how what are the applications or how are you using it? So in general, um, the materials itself have, mm, I would say, many um, useful applications, also already commercially available applications today. The effect itself is not new. So this shape memory effect, it's known since the 1960s. And uh, I think it started with the US Air Force or something. And then there was a lot of uh, research and really also a trend on commercializing this technology in the 1990s. As you can see, when you look at the IP um, that got filed in that time. But at that time, materials were maybe not at the stage as they are today. So they, I don't know, showed, for example, strong fatigue. And so only a couple of commercial applications remained from that time. The most renowned one, I would say, are stents. So basically, when you when you put that uh, these stents in the body, the body temperature will just widen the stent and allow blood to fall, um, to to pass through. And then early two thousands, I would say there was um, a trend towards actuation or using these materials in actuation. This is actually where we come in place, or in 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 the whole story, I would say. How these materials are used as actuators is not easy, but it's on the other hand a, a very uh, striking principle because when you look at other actuation technologies, you normally have many moving parts. You have, um, I don't know, magnetic fields, for example, that move a plunger or something. Um, you have, uh, or electro motors, uh, engines. So they are quite large and yeah, complex to a certain extent. And this, um, I would say, uh, is the main reason why our uh, actuators have um, a very interesting niche when it comes to miniaturization, because we don't have any moving parts for us. The material itself is the machine. Um, we create this movement on, on the material level, and therefore we don't need many move, moving parts. We do not need large parts as well, um, so we can create very, very small moving elements. And coming to your actual question, why or how are they used? Uh, now I gave many examples, but how are we using them? Uh, we are mainly using them in involving technology, especially involves uh, used for, for life science applications where you want to have um, a fluid control done by components that don't need a lot of energy, that are very small, very lightweight. And therefore, you need subcomponents like the actuator itself that is as well very small, very lightweight and energy efficient. And uh, I would say this is our main main area of interest currently. So that's, that's definitely very interesting. One of the things I saw um, on your homepage, then I thought that was a good explanation of, of what you do, is that you minimize complexity. Uh, because there's no need to use electronics, bearings, and joints, and you do that in a very small space, right? So the installation space is tiny. Uh, so that to me sounds like, um, yeah, you eliminate complexity and you also reduce costs in the process. Is it easier to implement your solution than others? Or what would be the benefits for uh, companies working with you to pick your solution over others? This is a very good question. I think there are 
loads of reasons and they will always differ between the companies we are talking to. I think when I look at our current customers, we have... um, We have companies that are very innovative and that are looking for innovative solutions. So they value a certain functionality. Let's stick to the Valve. So, I mean, Valve's already exist, but they they value that we have or or have the same kind of functionality that normal uh, solenoid Valve's, for example, deliver, but still in a a very restricted uh, installation space uh, with very low power consumption. So this actually enables some companies to start thinking about point-of-care devices or handheld devices that are better repowered and that can be used decentrally. So these are, I would say, yeah, target or or vision-driven innovative companies. On the other hand, there are companies that are looking for cost reduction. And in certain cases, this, can be a valid argument. Yet, um, it's a problem of the chicken and the egg somehow, because I think our technology can be very um, competitive when produced in very large numbers. But at the current stage, we are not yet there. So the components are more expensive than, uh, I would say, conventional solutions. So this is a more tricky kind of customer group. And a third one, maybe, um, are people that are actually have a problem, uh, a problem of space in general. So they have a certain device and it's fixed from, from their scale. So one of our first serious customers, for example, is the model train builder Merklin. And as you can imagine, when you build a model train, it has a fixed scale. You cannot change this because then, I don't know, the whole concept would somehow not really work. And you need still to add more functionality to uh, make it interesting, to gain new customers. But uh, the space you have available right now is already packed with electronics and, and other stuff. So you need to find solutions that can add functionality um, and still yeah, be implemented easily in a very limited installation space. And this holds true for Merklin, but also for other companies in, in medical technology or, or optics. So when you are dealing with a device or a product of some sort that uh, has very clear space limitations and you need to add extra functionality in those tiny, tiny spaces that would be maybe joints or um, yeah, tiny parts of that product that need to have additional functionality. I think I can follow that, that <laughs> train of thought, even though a lot of the things um, that you described sound very complicated right, from an engineering perspective, but I think you've, you've explained it very well for non-engineers. So thank you for that. So actually, this leads me to, to my next question, which is a little bit less related to the product itself and more personal, maybe, because we don't often have the, the business side on the podcast. We usually have the scientist that came up with the idea or the, you know, the engineer that had a crazy thought one day and developed that technology into a product. So I'm curious to know from, from your perspective as the only business guy in the company, what, what motivated you, what drove you to join this? And why did you think, well, this is a great idea and I want to, to work on this? What was your drive to co-found Mimetis? That's a very good question. So one of my co-founders, um, Marcel, is actually a good friend from, from high school. And yeah, we were spending, or we know each other since fifth grade. We did our A-levels together. And um, we were the only two guys in a in a bilingual French course with uh, seven uh, seven girls, so this really created a bond between the two of us. 
And um, yeah, nevertheless, after a high school finished, we both went our ways. Marcel went uh, to to Karlsruhe to study at the KIT uh, engineering or mechanical engineering. And I went uh, abroad to study business, uh, finance in particular. And um, yeah, after university, I went, uh, I would say, the, the kind of traditional um, first career steps that most of my uh, colleagues from, from uni did as well. So I went into consulting. I was uh, advising um, corporate banks. And one day I got a LinkedIn message from Marcel in yeah, 2015, I guess. And he said, um, yeah, I'm doing my PhD thesis and me and two other guys, we have very great uh, results um, and we want to commercialize that, but we need someone who can help us with the business plan. And he was explaining to me what they're actually doing, but I did, to be fair, not really understand that. So I said, yeah, of course, I will be uh, happy to help you. Um, yet it might be a good idea to get a better understanding of this. So one thing led to another. I came to Karlsruhe. I was standing in uh, that uh, lab yeah, at the KIT. And then Marcel showed me yeah, these weird wires, I would say, that were very fascinating because he was like deforming them and putting them in hot water and they changed their shape. Um, still at that point, I did not, I did understand what the technology was about, but I did not really get a feeling for what can be done with that. But somehow um, Marcel's uh, enthusiasm kept me interested in the topic. Because, I, as I said, I know him for many years and I trust him and uh, I, I saw that that he really believes in that. And so I decided yeah, to help the, the guys with a business plan. And during that, I would say, business plan writing, uh, which is a process in itself, of course, we started thinking about certain applications. And uh, already at the beginning, we were thinking about evolving technology for um yeah, life science applications, especially for point-of-care uh, devices. We were also thinking about optics, uh, especially in smartphones, for example, so where you need to, to move something on a very tiny space. And um, yeah, many, many other applications as well that came up somehow, but we decided uh, this is something we will need to figure out. We will need to, um, to follow the money in the end and, and see which industry or which company is, is most interested in. And maybe that's why they were lucky to get a business expert on board early on, because what we see with quite a few of the startups that we've spoken to in the past that aren't lucky enough to have someone on the business side join their startup at an early stage is that they try to focus on all the applications at the same time, um, or they, they lack a clear direction, at least for a while, before they can get someone on board who can say, okay, we need a business plan we need some structure, we need an order in which we do things. Um, so that's why I asked also because I was curious to know what drove you, but also how it supported um, the startup in, in its first steps. So where is Memetis now? Uh, what stage of development are you guys at in terms of technology? How is the, uh, the funding looking? Are you all set for a while or looking for investment? Tell us more about that. These are a lot of questions, actually. <laughs> um... Yeah, so today Mimetis is a small company with 11 employees, most of them with an engineering background, even though um, one of my newest colleagues made her way from studying mechanical engineering in supporting me uh, on, the, on the commercial side of things, which is actually a very, very important role, I have to say, because, and you mentioned it already, that many teams, they, they might like someone from the business side, 
but you need actually both. You need to combine that very well. You need someone with a deep technological understanding and uh, somehow um, an affinity to, to business. This is the best kind of combination you can have. And I got many, I had many discussions in the past when it says, oh yeah, or when, when my co-founder said, you're the business guy, you are in charge of sales. And of course I can uh, discuss like budgets, plans and, and stuff. But when it comes to actually selling the product to, to a customer, it's at least for our product, it's a highly technical kind of sales pitch. And um, people I'm talking to, they will realize that I'm not a technical guy. I, Whatever I do, <laughs> at some point it just happened. So yeah, so we are 11 people. We have our own uh, lab and manufacturing space in uh, Karlsruhe, not super central, but very close to the center. Today, I would say, when we look at our business, we have some customers where we produce in series already. So I would say we have our technology is at a stage where we can definitely say it's uh, commercializable, it's robust. Uh, we know how to work with it, uh, how to, to manufacture products out of this or with this technology. But um, the majority of the business still comes from development kind of projects. And uh, this is mostly due to the technology being a new technology. So there are companies that read about shape memory alloys and they say, oh yeah, we could maybe use that in this and that area. And then they call up a company, uh, I don't know, somewhere in the world who's producing this kind of alloys. And then they will probably say, okay, we have material science. We do not have the design and engineering know-how. Um, I can send you, I don't know, many kilometers of wire, but what you do with that, uh, <laughs> it's not our business. And we try to bridge this kind of gap. So we are um, really designing and engineering a product out of out of the material with all the know-how we have to have a product that is ready to be integrated in the end. And this kind, I would say, of, of, of work is our core business where we develop uh, custom-specific solutions. You're not a material producer, right? It's not that you sell the raw material and then whatever your client wants to do with it, it's up to them. You try to develop the entire solution for them, right? Which includes the design and engineering part so that you develop an actual product for them and not just a, a first step for them to then work on their own product. Yeah, this is right. I would say when it comes to our uh, interface with the material supplier, we we know what kind of material we need. We also um, have certain requirements when it comes to post-processing, etc., because it's not standard. Uh, so we are not buying standard material, but we know that the material suppliers, they have the know-how, they have the machinery uh, or the equipment to do um, or to create this kind of material that we need. And then we have some, I would say, related activities as well, in-house um, post-processing kind of things, which is very dependent on the application in the end. So depending on what we need, we will choose different kind of materials, uh, process them differently, um, but we are definitely not making the alloys ourselves. This is true. Got it. So coming back to the funding question, uh, where are you guys at now and are you actively looking for investors? Yes, the funding question. Um, so we are funded uh, venture, venture back since 2018 funded by a consortium led by the Hightech Gründerfonds and um, also including the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology and also uh, INA member um, Hütteneshoch 3. Yeah, this funding really allowed us to 
I would say to to switch gears, we are not uh, not break even, but um, during the last or since uh, end of 2018, when we received our funding, we uh, really improved the way how we deliver our products, how we deliver on our projects. Um, we have a much more uh, a better um, grip and understanding on different markets. It helped us a lot to get at a stage where I would say we are ready to grow by market demand. And now the big question is how to get this market demand, uh, which is uh, now a sales and business development job, which is a tough job in our uh, in our kind of industry because the the variety of customers is very large. And it's uh, very hard to define a clear segment. We know what is very interesting and where to look at, but it's not it's not an easy job. And for that, we are looking for new partners, or not new, but additional partners that um, or additional funding. I have to say that might also come, of course, from our existing investors to scale up the the, the commercial sites uh, in the company. And maybe ideally actually find also a strategic investor who um, already has a kind of a distribution or sales network in place, uh, which we can use to to broaden our sales activities. Because this is the next uh, important step to, um, yeah, to have this traction and then produce our technologies or our, our, our components in, in higher volume. So would it be fair to say that the ideal investor or partner for you in the future would be a company that's innovative enough that they'd be willing and able to test and not just test, but then scale your production. Um, and also in the process, of course, invest in, in the company rather than just a pure investor with very little knowledge in, in the field. We would always uh, prefer an investor who has uh, knowledge in in the field or at least knowledge on how to how to develop, how to scale a deep tech uh, venture. So when we look, for example, at the high-tech Gründerfonds, it's very diverse in the industry. It's industries it's investing in, but it really has a good experience and, and know-how on how to work with uh, deep tech ventures. And um, there's a lot of very good advice also coming from that side. I think our clear focus right now would be, or the, the, the most desirable kind of properties would be to have commercial know-how or market know-how in, in a specific field which would allow us to be more directed in our sales activities and maybe um, also create some synergies in this kind of uh, space. Of course, you always need to be uh, very cautious as well to not limit your your scope of activities by a strategic kind of partnership. Uh, on the other hand, both should profit as much as possible. So it's uh, it's a very tricky tricky search for the for the right partner, I would say. But we are on good track and I'm, I'm confident that uh, this goes in the right direction. That's very good to hear. And if there's anything at Enam that we can do to, to support you with that, we will. We are constantly trying to find those types of investors, like you mentioned, that have an understanding of, uh, of deep tech, such as um, Hutanas that you mentioned too, that, that recently joined Enam. So um, yeah, and, and Heidegger Gunderfonds is a, one of our partners that we work with a lot. These are the type of investors that we found to be, first of all, most interested in startups uh, like yours and also most uh, relevant for the startups because then the, the partnership is, is a profitable one for, for both sides. So if there's anything we can do to support, we, we will do so, um, as well as trying to connect you with companies that could be partners, clients. Very happy to do that. 
Before we wrap this up, are there any last minute uh, thoughts, comments, requests that you have from our from our audience? Yeah, I have a I have a wish I would like to share actually, um, and I already told you that uh, sales in our um, in our industry is very tough because it's yeah it's a new technology um, that needs to be brought out to a variety of of customers with very different requirements. In the end, I guess it's the same kind of experience uh, all um, yeah material startups go through. But uh, based on our experience, my wish would actually be that the the startups out there that somehow are in a related field, even though it might feel like competition, that um, they maybe uh, see this more as a chance uh, working together or at least spreading the word together. Because um, we figured that out, this out in the, the Shape Memory Alloy community. Um, there are a couple of companies, uh, also very in innovative and small companies. Uh, the more we speak about that, the more um, yeah, customers or, or, or companies know about what these materials can do, the more we benefit altogether uh, because we get quicker to the point where we can actually sell a product or sell a project and we don't, do not need to explain everything uh, from the beginning. So this is something I, I would advise, and this would be my wish to just be more open uh, and work together, spread the word about the technology to just make people more interested and more knowledgeable uh, and make it easier in the end to, to sell your technology or product. That's a good wish. And I think that applies to, as you said, most of material science startups, because most of the times what we see is the product is so new and so cool and so exciting, but companies may not know what to do with it or may not be very familiar with the technology. So if everyone comes together and explains this technology to, to everyone they meet, then it's easier in the end for the market to grow. So on that note, I'd like to thank you very much for being with us today. And we'll definitely see you soon at the next INA meetings and everywhere we go. And yeah, thanks a lot for joining Startup the Science today. Thanks for listening to Startup the Science. If you like our show and want to know more about what we do, check out our website at enam.berlin. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time.